Hello there, and welcome back to Music Speaks, where Hunter and I will continue to dive into the musical playlist of last week's guest, Estella Aragon. Enjoy. All right, and we are back, and now we're going to go through some of uh, the musical selections that Estella has chosen for us to discuss. The first of which is Reverie by Debussy. And uh, the first thing that came to mind, whenever someone picks Ravel or Debussy, uh, I always wonder what draws them to it. Like, are you a fan of Impressionism in particular, or is it the composer, or is it the instrument? What made you choose this one? I love, um, I love Debussy because it's just very dreamy. Like if I'm, mm -hmm. if I'm being totally honest and straight with, with my answer, um, the, the French style, the French impressionism style is just, I don't know, it's just so dreamy. Like it just, it's one of those songs I listen to probably a few times a week in the mornings. It's, it's the first one on my, um, relaxing classical playlist on Spotify. Uh -huh. And uh, and that's how I start my days after I do like meditation, which I do every morning, and um, and it just it just kind of makes me feel like I am calm and ready for my day. Um, I I love the, the the tonal relationships in that in that piece. Like there's 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 parts where you can hear hope. But like mm -hmm. right under that hope, you can hear other, other feelings. Like it's so multi-layered. Like a, like a person, you can feel happy and sad at the same time. You know. Um, right. Exactly. And I, yeah, I love that. Now, since you mentioned that, you know, given that impressionism is, you know, this, it, it's sort of the concept of, of of layering and and the whole versus the. Uh, you know, if you look too close at it, you lose the message. If you back out, you see it all. But then, like you said, it's it's layered. You hear one thing on top and then other things beneath it, which if you zoom out, you might see the whole picture. So when you hear this particular piece, uh, what do you envision? You mentioned hope and other emotions, but does it bring a picture to mind or does it bring an emotion to mind to you when you hear it? Anytime I hear things, um, I, I, I usually like hearing WC on piano, just general yeah. piano things. And um, it it always just makes me think of like trees rustling in the wind, like trees or like a French farm. And it's just all like a lot of open space. Um, and that's sort of, yeah, that's this visual thing I always have. Like it happens almost every time. Now, sometimes I listen to it while I'm, do like working or whatever mm -hmm. um but other times when i have dedicated listening time and i'm just like just listening really closely I, that's the image i always get trees mm -hmm. flowers no oh, that's good because i mean obviously you know like you said you listen to it to relax if you put it on when you're working or in the morning you know it's it's clearly uh what's the word i'm looking for uh I guess manifesting maybe is the best word. It, it's clearly manifesting the emotion that that you are associating the visual with, um, because you know you mentioned uh, layers of visual layers of emotion, and it would be like you know I'm trying to think of a, a good example of like something that does the opposite. You know, like some of because it's not impressionism. You know, some of Handel's or some of Mozart stuff. It's it's non programmatic music, so therefore. You know, it might be titled, or like Vivaldi, right? Spring or or winter. You know, like those could be seen as as relaxing, calm uh, images that the word conjures up, but the music it doesn't match because it was not the kind of you know what I mean. So, like, I wouldn't put on winter just to say I'm going to sit here and relax. Oh, I love winter. I mean, it's a great piece, um, but I mean, yeah, I don't know that yes. I would want to relax to it. Maybe some people would though. No, no, no. Winter's not for relaxing. Like when I, I, <laughs> I just, I just had a conversation about this with someone, and um, and I was like, every time I listen to winter, like I think it's maybe a minute, a minute in, like I have this imagery of this like beautiful woman in like a red hot dress, right, wielding ah, okay. a sword, walking <laughs> down, walking down a hallway of like this beautiful. Um, 
maybe like an 18th century French mansion. And she is like killing everybody on her way down the hallway. But it is gracefully done. Like it's just like swoosh and there goes their head or like swoosh. And it's just like this beautiful work of lethal arts. Like that is always- Is it weird that I can totally imagine what you're saying? See, this is the thing. And everybody listening, you have to listen to Winter and you have to try that because it fits like perfectly. It really does. I never thought it, and I would never have come up with that myself, but and it but it makes total sense. Now this I guess this question is to both of you then. Having, you know, what you just said, and this might be because we're musicians and or maybe because we have creative minds in general, but uh, do you ever do that where it's like you you listen to a piece and you create this entire story that goes along with this piece? And you're like, there's no reason it should be this detailed in my head, but the music is just creating it. I mean, if you don't do that, I don't, I don't know what you're doing. Like exactly right. Like it's just like I, the one piece that always comes to mind for me is actually it's by um, not WC, it's by Ravel. Uh, it's called La Valse, okay. um, or or La Valse, uh, depending on if it's French or uh, Spanish, um, and. It's just like, it's this grand waltz piece, like, but it's a, it's like a choreographic poem, I think is what it's labeled as. And I'm listening to it and I always get this vision in my head of like this, this very 18th century, uh, this 19th century um, in this palace, this ballroom and these people are going and then there's like some chaos that happens and they all start dancing around it. And I don't know, it's like in my head that it goes through uh, and, I envision it. But anyway, <laughs> that's just my, my mind, uh, which is a bit chaotic to begin with anyway. And my last, well, I always say if anyone would like went, I'd never want like a telepath to read my head because they'd probably go mad. But um, my last question about this piece by WC is you mentioned you like to listen to his music on piano specifically. Being a trumpet player, is there anything that you that you envy about piano players? I mean, you know, you mean apart from the fact they can play a billion notes at once. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I mean, I love piano. Piano, I, you know, earlier I said that I didn't have much musical experience between trumpet, but I lied. I actually played piano before I played trumpet, um, but it was totally self-taught. Oh, yeah? It was when we first, first moved here and I was a sad and lonely 10-year-old girl with no friends. <laughs> um, and my mom was like, let's get her one of those p- keyboards where the keys light up to teach you songs. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. And I, I learned like all of four Lees, like the two handed version with really? just the light up thing. And I learned like the whole thing. I mean, at the time I didn't know it was the whole thing, but now I realize it was actually pretty long. Um, and I also learned Moonlight Sonata in the same way. And I, I mean, I made up the fingerings. Like I reached the notes. I had no, I have no idea if I was doing it right. Um, right. But that was actually my first instrument and I loved the piano. Um, but you know, once I picked up trumpet, the piano kind of went out the window. Um, mm-hmm. But I love the sound of the piano. Um, I don't know, it's just something very, very attractive about it. It is. It's so versatile. Very... Like it's so versatile. You can be, so many things you can be so many characters with piano it's awesome mm-hmm. and that was actually that's why the piano was created in the first place was because the harpsichord was limited with what it could do and so the i don't know maybe you know this already but um the medici family in florence wanted a more versatile instrument and so they uh, they commissioned bartolomeo cristoferi to create an instrument that could change dynamic levels and be a little more sensitive. And so he created Il Pianoforte, which is the loud soft. That's why it's named that, Um, because it could be both loud and soft. Uh, And thus the piano was created. Well, we we have a lot of things to thank the Medici family for. They they had their hands in like every friggin' jar available. They really did. And they had the money to see it through. Yeah. They did. Uh, now we will shift to a violin concerto, which I know Sean would like to talk about because it involves the trumpet as well, or in Italian, they call it la tromba. You know, that's right. And, you know, initially Estella, when you sent me this piece, I thought you were going to send me Chike D in D minor, 
the uh the the finale um string but it's for Malcolm McDougal who then played um so I thought that maybe that was where you knew but I'm glad that you sent me this piece because I mean it's so interesting how how like the stark differences between some of Vivaldi's music can be it's super happy versus super depressing or like super like really like like you said like the, the the girl with red who's wielding a sword and it's like super freaking serious um how were you introduced to this piece have you gotten to play it what's the deal with this piece i have never played this piece no um and i i just found it because it's on one of allison balsam's um uh, albums and she plays it i i like it on on piccolo trumpet um better than on on violin but that's just that's just like a general rule of thumb for me um not that i don't like the violin for all my violin players listening out there um but sean's um, not a fan <laughs> i mean it just it it just has to be just right right there's like it just has to be just right um but i just i just love it i mean there's something like there's something special to it and and i may just be saying this because i'm a trumpet player but on trumpet um piccolo trumpet it's like it's extra you know there's like a whole other level to it when you listen to it on piccolo trumpet um i like that it's that it's that it's beautiful but it's chaotic and it's melancholic it, it's sort of like it's sort of suffering at times like like it's sad sad um but then, but then it's so fast sometimes that you don't really have a whole lot of time to settle in the sadness, you know? And so you just have to kind of move on. Um, and then I just love the sheer technical display um, in that piece. Uh, she actually has a, a, at least one of them, it's on YouTube with, of a video for actually playing it. And um, God, it's amazing. She is also amazing. I love that. And it's also so refreshing to have another trumpet player on the podcast, no offense, Hunter, but it's always interesting to talk to someone who really does understand the craft of the instrument. Um, you know what's also interesting was I, I went through each individual movement and I had my own thoughts about the way each individual movement definitely characterized the piece. Um, and, I, and I look at the first movement and I find that that no other composer around that time of Vivaldi could really find the fire. As, as he could, you know, and I find that that really describes the the first movement really well. How would how would you describe the first movement and maybe in your own terms? Absolutely. I have I have the, the beginnings of all three movements like mashed in my head. Um, I'm, I'm a very like um, one thing at a time sort of person. So can you like can you sing the beginning of the first movement so I can something like that, I think. Do you want to listen to it? We can listen. You to know it. what? That would be great. I just need like the first five seconds. Let's do it. Let's listen to it. I'll have it up and set and ready to go in just a second. Uh, I'm gonna la 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 la. I'm gonna see if I can get this clip and ready to go. Was it? Oh yeah. That's it. Right? That's is it. That, is that one? Is that one or three? I think. I think that is one. I think I might have been sung singing three just because mm -hmm. I. I tend to do that from time to time. Yep, I'm going to play this one, and let's listen to it. It's also interesting because, like, just how we just mentioned, the fire, the ferocity, the, the anger, you know? And I'm so I'm so used to, to listening to composers, and Hunter knows this really well, that I, I talk about Bach too much. But when I listen to Bach, I think about these Picardy thirds, and I love them so much. But this it, it this is just like surefire anger, and I, I love it. I think that there's so many great like composers like like a Monteverdi, like a like a Vivaldi, that just come out and just like I don't know, want to break toes and fingers. So so what what do you think? That I hadn't described it like that before, but I think anger is sort of the perfect word because you're right. I mean, it is so it's so angry. It it has problems like it, it it's asking for the manager like it definitely you know like <laughs> it's got manager. some words um to say yeah. and um 
yeah, it's 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 very fiery. It's um, impatient, you know, like the the whole thing is just like bum, 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 bum. and it's the same note, but it's clearly going somewhere, you know. And it's just so like I don't know, so much, so much energy in there. Also, a little classy too, don't you think? It is. There's that. There's that other part. Um, and it's this beautiful, just like cascade, right? Yeah. But they could also be her too, because she's amazing at that kind of aesthetic. It could be, but uh, you know, I like I like to think that it's a little of both. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And then you know, when I get to the second movement, I thought that the second movement played a really great role of, and I, I mentioned this phrase to Hunter quite a few times: the the Fabergé egg. Or the really kind of like soft things that you don't you you you're walking on eggshells throughout this movement, and you're really not trying to 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 make too much noise. But then, so you know, before I move on to the third movement, any thoughts about the second movement? Because you, as a performer, you really don't want to 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 search too far, but you also want to find that range of cautious versus over cautious. So I think right in the middle, you really do find this like haze of, of the second movement. Yeah, um, the second movement is the one that starts with just a really long, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just gorgeous. It's just really beautiful. Um, but it's but it's sad, you know. It's not like a it's not like like a like a pretty slow movement like like a Haydn two or something. Um, right. yeah. It's 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 just sad. <laughs> um, but there's, I don't know. It's almost like you're 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 trying to calm down from the fire, you know, of of the first one. Mm -hmm. But the ending of movement two though really sets up movement three. Oh yeah. Hell and yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I, I I can't I can't listen to movement three without listening to two first and vice versa. Like I can't listen to two and not listen to three because it feels like incomplete. And you know something interesting about three, which is also kind of about one as well, which is something I really like about Allison's, Allison's playing is that you can really dictate the articulation that she's using because she is super obvious and super clear with that. And I think that's really cool. Mm -hmm. um, is, there an, is there an aspect of Allison's playing that you connect with as, as a player? Oh, God. It's like it's such a simple and not simple question. Um, all at the same time, because yeah, I I particularly love the way that that she's able to sigh, you know, through the horn, which is it's kind of a it's a tricky thing to do. Like you're blowing this tiny bit of you know this really small stream of air into this instrument that can get very loud um, and out of control, and and she's so she has such finesse with it, and. Um, Listening to her helped me so much to learn to play Haydn well, because Haydn has a lot of those moments um, where where you need to sigh, like you. It has to be, and it needs to sound like that. Um, and uh, yeah, that's just something I really admire about her. You know, speaking of finesse, I think the next song really does need a lot of finesse. And you also talked about how many guitar players in your family. Did they play the next song at all? They played. Uh, no, they didn't. Okay, I'm very excited for Hunter again if this next song because I'm cool. All right, so the next song is um, "El Ultimo Tremolo." Well, I, I apologize for saying that with an Italian accent rather than Spanish accent, but uh, by Agustin Barrios. Um, and well, I didn't know the artist prior to listening to the song, so I looked him up. He's a, he's a more recent artist, yes? Um, I'm actually not sure, like, which artist I sent you. So I just looked it up on, on Spotify and then mm -hmm. sent you whichever artist it was. Um, oh, okay. So you knew the song rather than the artist. Yeah, so I know the piece in... Are you talking about Agustin or are you talking about the player? Uh, well, I was talking about the, the song El Ultimo Tremolo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but sorry, when you said artist, did you mean the composer, Agustin Barrios, or did you mean the guy that played it? Oh, I, oh, I see what you're saying. Um, yeah, the, well, the guy, right, Agustin was from the 1800s, correct? Yeah, that's what I was like. I was, my bad. I was, I was totally, 
I messed that part up. So uh, were you familiar with the works of Augustine prior? Honestly, no. I'm not, I'm not at all super familiar with um, classical guitar, even mm -hmm. though I love classical guitar. But there is a story behind this piece and why it's in my, in my top six and why I love sure. it. So um, as a freshman in my undergrad degree, we had this uh, theory teacher, theory one, right? And it was our first day of school. I was psyched because this was, you know, the beginning of like undergrad music degree all the cl most classes were going to be about music. I was just excited mm -hmm. about that. As uh, so my favorite class was always band, right? And um, and this guy comes in and and he's like he's like a little. He has like a, a really kind face, you know. He has his like five o'clock shadow, and he comes in with a guitar, the classical guitar. Ah. And um, and then he's like, before we get started today, I'm going to play something for you that I love. And I'm just like, yeah. And so he puts his leg, he grabs a stool and he puts his leg on the stool and places the curve of the guitar right on his leg. And he plays this, like oh. he played this, he could have played anything, you know, but he played this and it was like the most enchanting thing I had uh -huh. ever seen up to that point, because it's a beautiful piece. It's technically like very crazy, difficult, right? You have this continuous like tremolo while yeah. you're you know, putting down the, 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 the melody and, and, and everything else. And, um, and it was mind blowing, like mind blowing. And ever since then, I have loved this piece. Um, it's sort of, it really inspired me like that day when I watched him play, it was so inspiring. It was maybe my first week of school in music school. And, and I was just like, wow, like this is, this is where I could, you know, where I could go. This is where I'm headed when I'm however old this guy is. And, um, and it was, yeah, it was just a really inspiring day. So it has a special spot. That, that is, it's, it's a very impressive piece. Um, and the first thing, obviously, you know, like you said, first thing I noted when looking at it was her fingers are going a mile a minute, um, while she's playing and it's this dual feel, right? Because like you said, the melody is being played with one part of your hand. I think it's that she was using the thumb, I think, to play the melody because it's uh, this very eighth note pattern in the melody and then the tremolo is going beneath. What do you think the most impressive part of the song is? Is it the technicality? Is it the, is it the melody? What do you think? I think it's the ability to make it sound so flowing mm -hmm. and, and put together um, while you're trying to do these things. I mean, it's like, I don't know. It's like walking on a tightrope while doing ballet. Like, you know, it's, 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 it's like, it's like really hard. Wow. We are, we are there with the imagery today. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a really difficult thing to do, but it is so graceful. You know, mm -hmm. the, the, like we said before, the, the finesse is there. Um, the nuance is there. The depth is there. The emotional value is uh, times a thousand. So I think that's the most impressive thing because you could play technical stuff and it could be like blah, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. And I think, <clears throat> sorry, um, you mentioned that it was a very uh, enchanting performance. And I think there's something about the guitar. I, I'm not a guitarist. I have no guitar experience whatsoever. Um, and I don't really know anyone who plays the guitar, but I think that the guitar more than any of the other instruments has the ability to be the most captivating piano can be very captivating but there's something about guitar and i don't know if it's because um in a, in american music classical guitar seems very exotic um maybe not like because you know when people think guitar they think country music here um but in the classical world, <laughs> classical guitar usually comes from either Spain or there's a lot, there's some French music, or obviously then you have the classical world in Latin America. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So I think to, to United States citizens in particular, the English world, uh, there's something very captivating because it seems quote unquote exotic, right? Exactly. Um, yes. And I think because, you know, a different, a little bit of a different tonal, uh, maybe not, maybe not tonal system, but 
uh, uses a different set of scales often in, in uh, classical, mm -hmm. in um, either Castilian Spanish or in Latin America to get that quote unquote Spanish sound that people think of when they think of guitar. Um, and actually, now that I think about it, in the Middle East, actually, they have their own their own set of like um, stringed instruments that they use. But that's that's like a whole different topic. But oh, anyway, point is, being is that is like a whole other whole other <laughs> realm of string instruments over there. They're very impressive. Um, yes, they are. It's very but, interesting. Uh, very distinct sound. Yes, it is. But I I agree with you with the um, with the exotic. Uh, comment because yeah I mean in Peru like in Lima growing up that is the guitar that everybody plays it's classical like most people don't play acoustic guitar like that's that's kind of lame <laughs> you know <laughs> in Peru like it's true like you're like what like why do you have an acoustic guitar that's so weird um and like all of all uh of our waltzes we have a lot of Peruvian waltzes that are very mm -hmm. um very deeply rooted in the culture um, yeah and they're all on classical guitar. So it's a very normal thing. It's all nylon strings and you know, it's it's just like a, such a familiar sound. Um, so to me, it's always been very uh, homey to listen to classical guitar. Yeah, and that was something that was actually gonna be one of my next questions, which was about uh, this composer is uh, from South America and I can't remember where he was from now. I can't remember, oh, Paraguay. I think that's where he was from, Paraguay. And being that obviously you were born in Lima and you, I'm, you, I assume still have family in Lima, um, probably quite a lot of family if you have like lots of aunts and uncles. Um, being from there and being that this person is uh, Paraguayan, do you hear any similar, and I know you sort of just mentioned it, do you hear any similarities between uh, this style of music or any other Latin American composers compared to your home of Peru? Mm, no, no, not really, no. Um, if you, you know, like after after this, like go and like listen to uh, Peruvian waltz mm -hmm. on guitar on YouTube and you'll hear like the total, it's a completely different sort of style. Yeah. Um, but no, this is, this is more to me just like Spanish classical music on guitar. I can't, I can't even name it a particular genre because I feel like I don't know it doesn't really fit into anything for me particularly it's just right like thing. it's just classical guitar right and that's uh, I think something that's very unique in in South America and in Central America all the different countries have something very specific to their own country right so yeah. the music from Peru is very different from the music from Mexico which is very different from Venezuela which is very different from Brazil right. um, and that gives each of the countries their own uh, mm -hmm. unique character. Uh, the commonality being the shared, uh, I guess, way, way back, the shared um, colonial ancestry mixed with the native population. Yeah. But then over time, it has diverged into the unique characteristics. Exactly. Yes, exactly. So uh, that's very, very true. Um, Peru was, you know, it was colonized by Spanish. And um, in Peru, we have a funny saying, which basically means like, if, if you're not, if you don't have from this, you have from that, because every Peruvian person is, is mixed either in, in one way or, or another now. Um, I'm actually, I'm 40% native Peruvian, and then I'm 40% Spanish um, mm -hmm. and 10% Chinese, which, you know, that's, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so absolutely. We all have our different, our different styles. It's very apparent to us, but mm -hmm. I have figured out like to people that are not familiar with Latin music, because obviously, I mean, why, why would they know this? You know, it all kinds of sounds very similar, but it's, it's, it's quite different. It is. I think it takes a while for, for people, for non-natives of those countries to listen for those differences um and once you know them it might be easier to recognize but it, you you have to take time to listen to the different the different um genres you know what certain genres utilize certain time signatures more often certain because it's associated with a specific cultural dance or because it's linked to some sort of emotion you know a lot of different reasons 
You know, the Sean and I have about this a lot. A lot of the heavily Catholic countries, three, four, and and six, eight are used a lot because three was considered the the holy time signature, right? Because it was three, it was a trinity, all that kind of stuff. So, wow, the more you know, I didn't know that. Thank you. Yeah, so it was if you look at a lot of like old, old, old like Catholic music, a lot of time when they first invented time signatures, it was all in three because it was considered mm. the divine time signature. Um, That's so now, cool to know. Right? And now we think about everything's in, in cut, uh, cut time or common time, right? So it's all fours, not very, uh, um, what do you call it? Uh, oh, God, I just blanked on it. Uh, something meter. Sean? Uh, common meter? Versus uh, compound. Thank you. Okay. Wow, compound. Could not, okay. Compound meter. Yeah, I could not think of that. So compound used to be more common, but now it's not. Cool. All right. So, cool piece of history. Look at that. So now the the learner's got a lesson. The uh, listener's got a, a lesson as well. <laughs> that was totally babbling there. It's okay. I'm fine. I wasn't having a stroke. Um, <laughs> now, off of my babbling, we're going to go back to Sean, who wants to talk about uh, something that seems very French, but I don't know. Yes, that is correct. Um, Estella, your next song that we're going to talk about is Balance Tonqui. I don't. I don't know. It's a. I don't know how to say that last word. Uh, cool. It's uh, It's quoi? Balance ton quoi? Balance. Thank you. Thank you. Balance ton quoi? Um, and initially, I wasn't aware of the artist's name, Angel. Um, how did you hear of her? And who is she? Uh, well, Angel is a Belgian pop singer. Um, I listen to. <laughs> I listen to pop. Um, you know in spite of popular belief that classical musicians or musicians only listen to like <laughs> the stuff that they play, right? Like jazz musicians uh -huh. only listen to jazz. Um, and I apparently only listen to classical music. Um, <laughs> I love pop. I'm a big, I'm a big pop fan. Now I'm, I'm kind of picky though. So I don't listen to like anything that's on the radio. Um, but Angel is actually one of, if not my favorite pop singer, um, Apart from someone like um, like Ariana Grande, for example, who I absolutely love her voice, or like Kelly Clarkson is a little bit different, but um, just women with big, powerful voices, love that. Um, now, Angel is is ve is very mellow, like she she's not a belter or anything like that, um, but she just has this really sweet voice, that just kind of fits into into anything. Um, so she's yeah, she's she's Belgian. Um, all of her songs are in French and two, what is it? 2022. So two and a half years ago, I set out to, to learn French um, because I, I'd always wanted to learn French uh, since I was in high school, but <laughs> in high school, it's like AP French and stuff, but the teacher was awful and I didn't learn anything. Like we would watch movies most days. It was, it was like that. Um, and I never got around to it. And then my first semester of undergrad, I took French one at school, but my music stuff was so heavy that I couldn't handle another class like that. So I dropped it and never looked back, you know, and then I did that degree and then I did the other degree and then finally moved here. And I'm like, okay, my life is sort of stable now. Like, you know, things are happening. So now I have time. And I started taking private lessons online uh, with this French teacher from Canada. And uh, I, you know, I put in the work and I learned French. So I like, I can speak French at a, at a pretty decent, like intermediate plus level. Like I could speak about most subjects. Um, and I may have to ask you to like repeat something or something, but, um, <laughs> Angel, uh, has a lot of songs that I could learn from. So she uses a lot of idiomatic expressions, um, and that was really good for me because those are not things I'm going to come across. I don't live in a French speaking country, so I can't have that type of exposure. So I needed it from somewhere else. And being that it's very hard to teach those in a school setting because they don't yes. come up in academic situations. No, they don't. I mean, they don't come up in any situations unless you put yourself <laughs> in that situation. Right. Yeah. Um, so I started learning a lot from that. And that's actually how I found out about her. And then I figured out that I she's one of the, she's one of those few where I like ninety nine percent of her music, because um, there's always like those bands you find or something and you're like oh I like this album but this one's trash so I'm not gonna 
right? it's like I like that one song. Yeah, just the just the one single song. Um, so yeah, uh, so that's that's how I found out about her. I think that was your question. Okay. Um, now I, I do want to get to the song itself because the the song itself is a little bit loaded, mm -hmm. but I, I do want to talk about maybe first your relationship to the song. What is it? Well, I mean, the, the song is about feminism um, right? Right. and the difficulties of uh, being a woman in a world that is, for, you know, for a lack of better, for, for a general term made for men um, in a lot of senses of the world, the word. And uh, so, I mean, that's, that's the pretty straightforward connection to it. Um, okay. All the things that are, you know, in the song are very relatable for a woman. Uh, we've all been in situations where we are uncomfortable with the way our, uh, with, with the way men speak around us or about us or about our friends. Um, and we happen to be in the vicinity to listen to these conversations. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that answers that. Okay, all right. Um, you know what's also interesting is you mentioned really, really well that, that her voice is pretty casual. So you sort of mix that with 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 feminism. Um, what what I mean? I guess my question is more about how the song feels casual, but then it also feels also a little profound as well. Oh does, yeah. Does that does that mix well? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that I think that the song needed to be casual for it to have the impact it did. Like when the song came out, which I don't remember. I think it might have been two thousand nineteen or eighteen. Um, it was huge in France. I mean, it was playing in every single store and every single form of public transportation in everywhere. It was huge. And it was kind of tied into that Me Too movement that is still making the rounds. Um, and I think that the delivery of the song, you know, it's catchy. Like if you listen to it and you don't know French, you have no idea what it is, but it's actually a really nice song to listen to. Like, you know, it has a good beat and it's it's fun. Um, the meaning is not entirely as, as light though. So I think that it needed that delivery to reach the listeners. Right. And not to take away from the music because the music is quite pleasant. I like, I really enjoy listening to it. It just felt like we needed to have that conversation where it, it it did feel like her voice was that casual talking about something a little more pressing, which I felt, I guess, made sense to me. But, um, and you know, what's interesting is like I mentioned about how songs can be casual, but the purpose of, of some songs is just for us to listen and to mm -hmm. just kind of absorb and to learn uh, as we always do. Like you, you learned so much about listening to your professor play that, that piece on guitar, you you listen to Allison, you listen to how she's able to to do so many amazing things. But again, like with this song, it, it is being so casual. Um, or my question is to you, do you find this song to be more casual or maybe a little more assertive due to its maybe not as complex nature? But I mean, I want to ask you, what, what do you think about that? If I'm throwing it in the right direction. Yeah, I think I think when you know the language and you really understand what she's saying, I wouldn't call this a casual song. Like it's 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 quite strong, even though its delivery is soft, but it has a strong message behind it. Um, so and you know it's not quite like um, what's that song? Uh, respect right? mm -hmm. from the '80s, right? Just want a little respect when I come home. That song is like strong and it's with a big voice and she she sounds like she means it behind every single word, which I love that song, by the way. And um, but but with this song, she's just like it's almost like she's having a casual conversation um, with some friends, you know, and. Um, but once once you really pick up on the lyrics, um, there's a lot to it and there's a lot of there's a lot of sad truth behind a lot of that. Can I ask you a little bit about the music video? What did you think about it? I have to, uh, oh yeah. Yeah. I love the music video. Yeah. Um, so in the, in the music video, she, you know, there's a lot of these, um, a lot of reference to how we are portrayed as women based on, for example, how we dress. Right. 
So because you wear a tank top and a really short skirt, uh, it must mean that you're looking for um, sexual advances, right? Uh, and and it it goes it goes on to in, into detail about literally anything you wear is doesn't matter. Like it's there's no neither here nor there on on what you wear. Um, right. And uh, part of the of the music video, if I remember correctly, is where they are at like um, like a school to learn how to we're like guys like all all men are at a school to learn how to be respectful towards women. And Angel is like the teacher, right? And she's going over this this thing where it's just like, what what does it mean when a woman says no? And one guy raises his hand, like very matter of fact, right? He's like, oh well, when a woman says no, I hear no, but really, I think it means. And he's about to say yes, and she's like, it means no, right? It's like, it's those it's those lessons. And then by by the end of the of 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 the video, the guy has sort of learned, I think, and, and he's like. Oh, so it's no. Oh, and he's like taking notes on his notepad. So it's funny because like the video is actually kind of funny, right? Um, there's this part where she's laying in the grass with her arms up, and then someone comes and sticks like arm armpit hair, <laughs> right on her to make a statement like I don't care, you know. If I if I don't want to shave, I won't because yeah. I mean I don't know. It's my body, my choice type thing, right? Right. Um. So yeah, I find the video funny. Um, I find I find the video a lot more on the on the funny side and on the like almost the the comedic side than just the music on its own. The music by itself makes me feel a lot more serious, you know, about the issue. Uh, but when I watch the music video, it's like she's poking, almost poking fun at this at this very serious thing, um, in a way. Yeah. And uh, I, I still think the music video is really impactful. Right not normalizing it but normalizing the humor out of it exactly right yeah which is i think is really cool mm -hmm. i'm gonna pass over to hunter hunter take it away you got yes indeed i will um just an interesting point but before we move off of that song um the one by angel uh it's funny how the you know you, you try to hide the the message you know what your point was was that you know if we were just listening to the song you might not realize what it was about especially if you don't know the language uh, but even if you do maybe if it's pleasant enough sounding people don't really listen to what it's saying which you know I, that happens a lot i was just having this conversation the other day with someone um, i was explaining about bossa nova right and the bossa nova comes from brazil and it was um originally a vehicle for which they were protesting injustice um, about a very, very tyrannical government that they had in Brazil at the time in the in the late 50s, early 60s, and well, really through the 50s. And the, because it was so pleasant and so relaxing sounding, they were able to slip in symbolic messages, which people who knew what to listen for knew what the messages were, but the uh, higher ups didn't really know what it was, and it was a way of getting messages out there um, and gaining support. So it's interesting how, you know, you can hide those kind of messages. And music has always been a sort of a vehicle for which, uh, you know, the, the downtrodden or the um, oppressed or the people who want change uh, can get their message mm -hmm. out to the public. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a very clever way to reach, uh, to get a message to, a message to the masses, uh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, now, in your next piece that you chose, it's called El Flautista and, uh, by Chino Colon. And I was unfamiliar with, with the artist, and I don't know if, if you know too much about him, but I read that he was from New York, uh, and he's, a, I guess, a very popular uh, Spanish artist in New York. Did you know him or the song first? I know the song. I actually don't know much about him um, in particular. I just love mm -hmm. that song. Like, I it's a very that. cool song. Yeah. Um, so for anyone who's listening who doesn't know, El Flautista is the is the, the flautist, right? The one who plays the flute. Uh, and it's a very it's a very cool song. It's a very traditional sounding song in the mm -hmm. sense of like a traditional dance piece. Yeah. Uh, what sells you about this piece? Is it the vocals? Is it the flute? Oh, it's rhythm. It's gotta. Is be. it the rhythm? 
if it's you know if it's if it's latin if it's salsa bachata merengue what what have you it's mm -hmm. the rhythm like there is so much flavor and just like pizzazz you know in this, <laughs> there in is, this, yeah. for like for lack of a better word right there's just all this all this um seasoning right mm -hmm. in this music that it is so easy to pick up on the flavor like it's it's infectious like it makes mm -hmm. you want to move like even if you don't dance okay even if you don't dance like you know you at least like move your shoulders a little bit and like tap your feet because it's mm -hmm. it's that kind of music and i love that it brings me back to my childhood and uh and i love dancing and i love latin music mm -hmm. it is it's a very you know you mentioned infectious which goes right into you know even if you don't dance you're just sitting there and you're sort of like you know your head's bumping along and um and then obviously if you do it it really propels you to want to to get up even if you don't it might propel you to get up and dance and i think yeah it's again with the mental imagery we were talking about earlier uh i hear this and immediately you even if you don't speak the language i think you get this sense of a group of people dance, you know, they're, they're in, uh, I don't know, I sort of envision a square or something and they're all getting up dancing together. And there's like a singer standing on a podium or something and he's singing and you have the flautist standing next to him who's playing and everyone's just having a good time. Uh, my sister's actually a flautist. And so, um, oh, I've always found it to be, yeah, I've always found it to be a very pleasant instrument. And I've noticed that amongst people, it tends to be, a more universally accepted and liked instrument, more so than maybe even the trumpet or the clarinet, which some people like, some people don't <laughs> like. What do you think it is? What do you think uh, it is about the flute that people tend to like? I don't. I you know. I think it's just that, like the 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 timbre of a flute is just very. It's very sweet. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's often, um, at least in in North American culture, is often correlated to like early army. Uh, sort of uh, of songs like you can you know I can kind of picture like the guy in his uniform like doo -doo, you know yeah the uh, those, oh God. Uh, like the fife and drum corps people thank you thank you I don't yeah I don't I don't know any of those words I was like <laughs> somebody will say the right word um, but uh, yeah it's just it's very sweet and I, I mean a lot of people I, I I used to think of flute as mainly just like concert band stuff. But flute's very versatile. Like mm -hmm. it sounds great in jazz. Very. Um, and as as you can see, it does in Latin too, which is it's not it's not very common, but it's it's really nice. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is the oldest instrument that they found like in existence. It's it's from I I don't even remember when. You know, hundreds of thousands of years ago. Um, the oldest instrument they found is in fact a flute. Yeah, it was it was like a little wooden like decrepit fallen apart flute or something yeah like i actually yeah. think it was made out of bone um yeah. they had they had poked holes in bone i, I which like, this is this is crazy but i actually remember learning about that in like history one in school <laughs> good i'm glad we're on the same page here so we have the same we have the same visual now right and so yes. clearly that instrument has always resonated with no music pun or uh, yeah. no vibrational <laughs> pun intended there but it's resonated with people throughout history yes absolutely. and every country has their own little version of it some slightly different than others so i think you know you add it to any type of uh any type of music and it takes on its own identity in the context of that style mm -hmm. yeah. right so and and i mean you know it and it's obviously it tends to be more associated with women but clearly mm -hmm. it's not the case it can, it can be played by anyone um of course i was just yes of course because not speaking spanish now this is like i totally on a different topic now uh not speaking spanish what is the do you know what the song is talking about i'd have to listen to it again it's been a while since i listened to it um mm -hmm. i don't remember like specifically what the song is about i think last time i properly listened to the song was i don't know maybe a few months ago um yeah. but if you want we can listen or i can i can look up the lyrics um Willie Colon. Yeah, I was just curious because, you know, if, I was curious if, it, if they're talking about a party, if they're describing a dance, if, you know, I wasn't sure. Yeah, I don't, 
That's so weird. There's, I like, I can't find lyrics for it. It's very strange. Was it, there's, there's words. Yeah, there's words in the song. He's talking about it. Um, yeah, he is here. I wonder if yeah. I can share my screen. Yeah, here. I can't, I can't find a lyrics. Like, I, I, I would have thought they would have come right up, but um, it didn't. Let's see here. Let me open this. Um, Aflatista. Oh, Aflatista. Yeah. Okay. I think I, oh, no, I didn't. I think that's somebody else. <laughs> I think that's it. I think that's a different flautist from somewhere else. A different flautista. Yes. Um, let's do this. Share tab. Flautista. How about this? Let's see. Can we hear this? Can we hear this? curious about if you had uh, a glimpse into what the, the guy was talking about when when someone when like something comes through I have to mute it otherwise I hear double um, uh, that makes sense um, but yeah he's 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 saying that that the flautist lost something but actually I can't understand the the specific thing he's saying he lost um, yeah I can't understand the, the one thing he's saying uh, he's the the guy is, is, is Cuban from the mm -hmm. accents um, Unless I'm mistaken, it could be Puerto Rican, I guess, but uh, the accent sounds sounds Cuban. And then he's talking about uh, where where the music, like where not not the music, where the uh, the rhythm came from from Cuba. Um, so oh. I think from from what I remember, it's about the the flautista, um, mm -hmm. who is Cuban, and that's really all I that's like really all I have. I mean, in the like in the stuff in the clip that you just shared, he says the same thing like 12 times. Yeah, I was gonna say, I noticed it was the same line a lot. I'm like, oh yes, that's gonna give us a lot of the story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was just curious. Uh, now having talked about dancing, you know, we mentioned dancing a couple of times now, the next song is especially here in the United States, heavily associated with dancing. I think this was played at every wedding mm. of all time uh, since the song was created. So Sean, that's that that's true. It's also really funny how when you said that Estella was was thinking really hard if in fact it was played at every wedding maybe she has been to. Um for me it has. But for you mm -hmm. not so much, Estella. Uh sorry, it it kind of cut out there for no. me, not not so much what? No, it's okay. So the I'll, next song. The next song, which is uh Let's Groove by Earth, Wind and Fire. So I was wondering, have you have you gotten to dance at this song at a wedding? Like specifically at a wedding? Yeah. Mm -hmm. No. No. No, I, okay. I haven't. But I, no. I, I I haven't been to too many weddings. Okay. No, this song is a in in the United States. This song is a very very popular wedding song and has been like it's just played not like a, <laughs> not a couple dancing like not their song but it's played at almost every wedding i would hope not for a couple that's a little weird <laughs> it would be a little weird oh hey you know if that's if that's your thing you go right ahead you do you will this be played at your wedding um i'm sure that it will be played at my wedding i mean it is one of my favorite songs so uh -huh. you know, i have i have to jam and dance for sure so you know what's interesting about let's groove is um Arguably, I, I wrote arguably the most excellent song ever written. It don't eat. It don't. It don't. I don't want it to mean that if you're a trumpet player, you want to have this special relationship with Earth, Wind, and Fire. And I feel like it almost makes it more special. And on my list, I put September, which Hunter talked about on my podcast. Um, if you don't remember Hunter, we we, we talked yeah, about no, Earth, Wind, and Fire, which is really interesting. 
Um, it's really interesting that my mom was the one that interest boosted me, Earth, Wind, and Fire to me. Who introduced Earth, Wind, and Fire to you? Or did you already know about them? I definitely did not know about them. I, I don't know, like even to this day, because I missed out on the first 10, 10 years of my life, you know, being not being here, not that I missed out on anything. Um, but um, I just didn't grow up knowing all of these big 60s, 70s, 80s, because I didn't have parents that lived here at that time that exposed right. me to that music. So sometimes I'll be listening to, to Spotify and my fiance will be like, oh, I love that song. That's so-and-so. And I'm like, who? Like, and, and it'll be this really like, you know, powerhouse singer or something from the 80s, but I just won't know the name. So Earthman and Fire definitely fall into that category for me. I had no idea who they were until I was about 21 or, well, no, 19. It was introduced to me by my undergraduate trumpet teacher who was a big jazz guy. And he was like, listen to this. And at the time he used to burn CDs for us. Mm -hmm. And like one week it was Jerry Hay. And then he gave us Earth and Fire. And then he gave us Arturo and Severinsen. And you know, it was just all the classics like here, here, art, listen to this. And, um, and that's how I fell in love with Earth and Fire. All right. And I, I honestly feel like it's just the the love that I have for Earth, Wind, and Fire. I mean, I know we all do, but it just it's it's so joyful. Like when you listen to it, it just it just you 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 just you just all you want to do is just dance and then just feel like you're dancing for the rest of your life. Yes. What is the what is the true definition of danceability in this song? What is it? What is it? What does it mean to you? The dancing in the song. What does it mean? What does the dancing mean to me in the song? Hell yeah! Or what does what what does um what does the song want to make you do? Okay, all right. Yeah, I yeah. that that question I can do. I wasn't sure <laughs> understood the other one. I'm you know, I've lived here for a long time, but sometimes I still don't understand English, and I'm not kidding. <laughs> That's um, just don't worry, we live we live we've lived here our whole lives, and we don't understand English either. <laughs> still don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, yes, it makes you want to dance. Like there, there is a no time that I can listen to Groove or, or September. You know, ba -da -ba -da -da -da. like as soon as you hear that, it's it's time to get up and like dance. <laughs> and it's and it's always like this little dance where it's always this little, this type of dance. Like every time it's it's Earth on Fire, right? It's always like for me, it's always this type of dance where your feet are barely moving like there isn't a whole lot of shuffle but like the rest of you is like you know <laughs> like the rest of you is all in right. that's, that's that is the dance communication with between me and earthman and fire music it's not quite like salsa like if i'm listening to salsa it's like a lot of movement and and you know hips and all these different things but with earth with earthman and fire it's like it's like you're purposely trying to contain all your excitement without moving a lot, but there's a lot in the movement that you do do. Right? Yeah. I, I actually know what you mean. It, it's weird. I, I, again, I can envision what you're saying. It's really hard to describe. <laughs> I feel like this is such a complex question. And I was asking you about dance because it's such a, it's such a, 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 a it's such a movement based thing that we just all, feel you know and, it, and it's so weird as, as musicians we're all like we're all so awkward and especially me when i start to dance things just fall over so it doesn't really feel like things are so generally stable but um still i'm so glad that you were able to bring all these songs to us today um so so grateful that you were able to, to make some time for us today um however we are not done with you yet um because we're gonna take another break but uh, in this break, if you'd like these podcasts, please think about subscribing. And if you would like to contribute to this podcast, please consider going to anchor.com and search Music Speaks Podcast. And if you are interested in doing something specific with us, please write us at musicspeaks.pod at gmail.com or send a raven to Hunter's House at Eradicated Information Avenue. And no way I'm giving you my zip code, Sean. Right. Okay. 
So this break will be sponsored by Diversify the Stand. The book Winds of Change. And when we return with Estella, we have the trumpet quizzes to end all trumpet quizzes. And uh, we're going to stump her knowledge on the trumpets. When we return, we have some music by the great Earth, Wind, and Fire to play us out. And we'll be back in 15 seconds. Hello. We were previously connected to two outstanding musicians from Diversify the Stand, Ashley Killam and Dr. Carrie Blosser, about their new musical endeavor called Diversify the Stand. Twelve composers joined Diversify the Stand for our first solo book entitled Winds of Change. Commissioned for this project, each composer allows the performer to explore their musical voice in this progressive trumpet solo collection. This book provides accessible educational pieces by living composers for players of all skill levels. These works are appropriate for players in their first few years of study and more progressively for advanced players. Perfect for any trumpet soloist, their works are ideal for performance in any setting, including school solo and ensemble, contest, competitions, recitals, and more. We are very excited to let you know about this product and hopefully the first by the stand will let you know more on the website and check out for their book winds of change thank you estella and next time we will see you on Music Speaks. My name is Sean Kunis, and keep listening to what you love. <laughs>